It's tuned to yesterday broadcasting shows from radio's past. Welcome. I'm your host, Mark Livonier. Sci-fi coming up in this hour. Later on, we hear the story of the man who was tomorrow on the Radio Guild. But right now, the final broadcast of the legendary sci-fi series X-1. Beginning on April 24th, 1955 on NBC, this last broadcast from about three years later on January 9th, 1958. It's Robert Checkley's story, Gray Flannel Armor. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight, gray flannel armor. But first, hear this. Everyone knows about and admires Bob Hope's frequent globetrotting trips to entertain our servicemen in far-flung corners of the earth. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to actually travel halfway around the world with one of America's greatest comedians, accompanied by an all-star troupe of entertainers? Well, this past Christmas, Bob Hope and company set out on a 12-day tour of the Far East entertaining servicemen in Honolulu, Okinawa, Korea, and Japan. And NBC's monitor went along, with microphones open all the way. This weekend, you'll find yourself a voyager on this exciting trip, along with Bob, Jane Mansfield, Hedda Hopper, and Jerry Colonna, as monitor broadcasts highlights from Operation Entertainment. And this is only part of the top variety of information and entertainment monitor brings you all weekend long, beginning Friday night. So start your weekend right with Monitor on Friday night and stay with Monitor all weekend long for celebrities, music, news, and sports over most of these same NBC radio stations. Now, X-1 and Part 1 of Gray Flannel Armor. My name is Thomas Hanley, and my case history is of particular interest to anthropologists, sociologists, and students of the bazaar. In its humble way, it serves as an example of one of the more obscure mating customs of the late 20th century. To begin with, I own several gray flannel suits and many slim neckties with regimental stripes. Millions of us roam the streets of our great cities Footsteps firm and hurried, eyes front, voices lowered, dress to the point of invisibility. But inside, inside, I fairly seethed with romantic ideas of swinging cutlasses, of beautiful damsels, their hair shimmering in the moonlight. In short, let's face it, I was a romanticist. But romance is a commodity difficult to come by in the great cities. Life is too impersonal, too busy, too standardized. This particular Friday night, I returned from my office to my one-room apartment and prepared to face another long, dull weekend. Then the doorbell rang. Good evening, Mr. Handy. Uh, if you're collecting for something, come back after payday. My friend, I'm Joe Morris, a representative of the New York Romance Service. Main offices in the Empire State Building, and branches in all five boroughs, Westchester and New Jersey. Uh, you must have the wrong party. Oh, no, Mr. Hanley. We're out to serve lonely people. And that means you. Don't deny it now. Why else would you be sitting home on a Friday night? Well, the fact is... You're lonely. And it's our business and our pleasure to serve you. Serve me with what? A bright, sensitive, good-looking fellow like yourself needs girls. Girls? Nice girls. Now, these young ladies I was referring to, Mr. Hanley, are not... Uh, uh, professionals. 
They are sweet, normal, romantically inclined young ladies. But they are lonely. There are many lonely girls in our city, Mr. Handley. Oh, yes, yes, I suppose there are. Funny, you, uh, you never think of it that way. I mean, uh, if you're not a girl. True, true. Now, the purpose of the New York Romance Service is to bring young people together under suitable circumstances. Oh, oh, I see. A kind of, uh, <laughs> you'll pardon the expression, a kind of friendship club? I should say not. We at the New York Romance have done what should have been done years ago. We have applied scientific precision and technological know-how to a thorough study of the factors essential to a successful meeting between the sexes. Factors? What factors? The most vital ones, my friend, are spontaneity and a sense of fatedness. Oh, well, spontaneity and fate are contradictory terms. Certainly. Romance, by its very nature, must be composed of contradictory elements. We have graphs to prove it. Are you saying that you sell romance? The very article. The pure and pristine substance itself. Mind you, I didn't say love. I didn't say common animal passion. I said romance. The missing ingredient, Mr. Handley, in modern society. The spice of life. The vision of all the ages. That is what we sell. Uh, very interesting. If I'm ever in the market, I'll get in touch with oh, you. No, just a minute, sir. Try our system for a few days absolutely free of charge. Here. Put this in your lapel. Oh? Well, what... Well, what is this thing? It looks like a small transistor radio with a tiny video eye. As it happens, it is a small transistor radio with a tiny video eye. Oh? What does it do? You'll see. Just give it a try. Remember, romances sponsored by our firm are fated, spontaneous, aesthetically satisfying, and morally justifiable. Well, uh, all right, Mr. Morris. I'll accept the free trial offer. Uh... Wear this in my lapel, you say? In the lapel. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> there it is. Happy romance, Mr. Handley. You're listening to The Gray Flannel Armor, tonight's attraction on X-1. Are you able to brush your own teeth? Not everyone can. Not a man whose arms have been crippled by polio. There are thousands of disabled polio survivors who must depend on someone else to help them perform the simplest, most personal acts. With your help, many polio victims can learn how to be independent. Right now, there are 100,000 survivors of crippling polio who need help. They need your dimes and dollars to pay for expensive care and equipment. Your contributions will provide trained hands to teach a polio survivor how to live with his disability. Thanks to you, a polio-scarred life will once again seem worth living. Remember, your generosity is the one hope of thousands for whom sock vaccine came too late. Join the 1958 March of Dimes. Won't you right now send your dimes and dollars to your local March of Dimes headquarters? Now X-1 brings you Act 2 of Gray Flannel Armor. After Joe Morris left me, I took off my gray flannel jacket and examined the small device attached to my lapel. It had no knobs or controls. It didn't seem to do anything at all. I shrugged, put my jacket on again, tightened the Windsor knot in my tie, and went for a walk. It was a clear, cool night. Like most nights in my life, it was a perfect time for romance. Around me lay the city, infinite in its possibilities and rich in its promise. But it was devoid of fulfillment. Nothing ever happened. I passed lighted apartment buildings and thought of the women behind the high blank windows, looking down and seeing a lonely walker on the dark streets, wondering about me, maybe, as I was wondering about them. Nice to be on the roof of a building, to look down on the city. Huh? Huh? Who said that? I, I wonder... Oh, sure. <laughs> this transistor thing. Hey, uh, what was that you said about a roof? Oh, I guess it isn't two-way. Well, it's not a bad idea, though. It would be kind of pleasant to look down on the city lights. 
No. Not that one. Well, what's wrong? Oh, oh, sure. Wrong building. Uh, you mean this one over here? Oh, no answer again. Well, it must be the right one this time. At least I hope so. walked into the lobby, and I remember thinking how you had to hand it to New York romances. They seemed to know what they were doing. I took the self-service elevator to the top floor. From there, I walked up a flight of stairs to the roof. <sighs> well, the air smells good up here, at least. No, not that side. The west side. Okay. I hope you know what you're doing. I certainly don't. <laughs> This turns out to be some sort of joke. I'll... Oh! Hello. Oh, I'm, uh... I'm sorry. I... I didn't mean to intrude. You're not intruding? Well, I... I didn't see you at first there in the shadows. I know. The lights. Mention the lights. Uh, oh, uh... Those... Those lights. The lights of the city down there. They're beautiful. Yes, like a great carpet of stars, or or spear points in the gloom. Like sentinels keeping eternal vigil in the night. Like sentinels keeping eternal vigil in the night. Take her in your arms. Take her... What? Uh, <laughs> nothing. Nothing, a mistake. Uh, come here to me. Yes. Yes. As she was melting in my arms, I caught sight of the small transistor set pinned to her shoulder strap. The one exactly like the one in my lapel. You can't help feeling a little odd about a romantic meeting set up and sponsored by transistor radios. I could visualize a million young men in gray flannel suits roaming the streets in response to barely heard commands from a million tiny radios. I tried to forget my doubts. The next night, I took another walk and found myself in a slum section of the city. I decided I'd made a mistake and started to turn around. Why not walk on? Huh? You want me to walk down this alley? Oh, well. Help! Help! Oh, oh good night. Uh, two muggers after a girl. I'd, uh, I'd better look for a policeman. Why do that? You can handle them. No, no, no. A policeman can do it a lot better. No, you must do it now. Oh, but, 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 but there's two men. They're probably armed. You can Oh, oh, well, here goes. Oh, you don't. Now, wait a minute. Let me go. Oh, wait, oh, let me oh, go. 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 you. Go, I swept her into my arms and we embraced there in the darkened alleyway. As I held her close, my cheek brushed a shining jewel in her raven black hair. I had to look twice to recognize it, but sure enough, it was a tiny transistor receiver just like mine. I was suddenly angry. Oh, the girl was lovely, there was no denying that. And the circumstances were undeniably romantic until you realized that it was all a kind of cheap play. Fated and spontaneous. That was a joke. Angrily, I tore the transistor from my lapel and threw it into the nearest garbage can. I stalked away into the night, hardly realizing where I was going. I didn't really wake up until I reached the waterfront. I stood there, looking at the oily black water and let the brackish-scented breeze fan my face. And then, unexpectedly, I was aware of another person nearby. The moon slid from behind a cloud and her auburn-tinted hair caught its light and held it for a moment. She turned her face toward me with frank curiosity. At this time, there was no transistor radio to throw me a cue. I didn't need one. It's a nice night. Maybe. 
Maybe not. Uh, the beauty is there, if you care to see it. What a strange thing to say. Is it? Is it really so strange? Is it strange that I'm here at this very moment? And that you're here, too? Perhaps not. No, perhaps not. Now, let me look at you. Oh, you're really beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. Am I? You know you are. Oh. Oh, you're... You're lovely. Do you really like me? Like you? If I could only tell you... Oh, I'm so glad. You see, I'm your free introductory romance, given you as a sample by Greater Romance Industries. What? With home offices in Newark, New Jersey. You see, only our firm offers romances which are truly spontaneous and faded. Spontaneous and faded? Due to our technological researches, we are able to dispense with such clumsy apparatus as transistor radios and... Sir, where are you going? I was sick and disgusted. After that, there were several other attempts to get in touch with me, but I ignored them. I wanted no more to do with the romance game. In a couple of days, I called up a twittering aunt of mine, and she arranged a blind date for me with the daughter of one of her oldest friends. The blind date was a nice, friendly girl with plain, mousy brown hair. We were introduced in my aunt's living room, and we sat out on her sun porch and talked. So you're Tom Hanley. Yeah, yeah, I uh, guess I am. Your aunt has told me a lot about you. You work in advertising, don't you? Yes, yes, that's right. Um, uh, Madison Avenue. Oh, I think that's thrilling. Advertising, I mean. It's such an an interesting field. Well, we we like to think so. (laughs) Yes, I imagine you do all right. Uh, Seems like... uh... It's warmer this evening, doesn't it? Yes, it is. Although I don't mind the cooler weather so much. Lots of people complain about it, but I don't mind. Well, I I don't either, I guess. (laughs) As long as you're dressed for it. (laughs) Yes, I suppose that's the secret. Oh, I was just thinking, uh, do you like bowling? Oh, I don't know. I've never bowled. Oh. Do you like tennis? I'm crazy about tennis. Well, tennis is all right. Yeah, I guess you could say tennis is fine. I'm crazy about it. Well, all right. So it wasn't romantic. At least it wasn't at first. But there must have been something about it. We began to hit it off, and we had more dates, and one thing led to another, and... The first thing you know, <laughs> darned if we didn't get married. <laughs> yes, that's the story of my courtship. Of course, it isn't the whole story. At least, if you're making a case history, you have to know the important things. And to my mind, one of the most important of all happened after we were married. We bought a nice little house out near my aunt's and settled down in it. Then, one Saturday morning, I was out cutting the law. Hi there. Huh? Uh... Did you, did you say something? I said, hi. Don't you remember me? Joe Morris. Oh, oh, sure. New York romances. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Morris, but you better take me off the list. I'm, uh, I'm married now. Certainly. I know all about it. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. I mean, I know all about the way it happened. Introduced by your aunt, talking on the sun porch, corny old-fashioned stuff. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking it, quite the contrary. Do you know what we down at New York Romancers call this? No, what? Hanley's Mode. We studied you. A lot of commercial possibilities there. We've got it down on graphs. Effects of embarrassment on the psyche. The role of the ant in American courtship. The whole works. What are you talking about? New York Romancers. What else? We've got a new service. It's called the Old Fashioned Plan. The what? We provide bonded ants for young men to call up. We even have the ant walk into the sun parlor at unexpected intervals with a plate of cookies or something. They say the suspense becomes almost overpowering. Like our motto always said, spontaneity and a sense of fatedness. It never misses, my boy. 
Never misses. Fred Collins again, and I'll have another word about X-1 in a moment. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features The Repairman by Harry Harrison. Being an interstellar troubleshooter wouldn't be so bad if only you could shoot the trouble. Galaxy Magazine on your newsstand today. X-1 has brought you Gray Flannel Armor, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Finn O'Donovan and adapted for radio by William Welch. Featured in our cast were William Redfield as Thomas Hanley and Guy Rep as Joe Morris. Others in our cast were Abby Lewis, Pat Hosley, Hetty Galen, Freddie Chandler, and Helen Gerald. This is Fred Collins speaking. This broadcast concludes this series of X-1. We sincerely hope you enjoyed it. X-1 was directed by George Vutsas and is an NBC Radio Network production. Guest star Don Amici is your host on Nightline, your line to new worlds of entertainment after dark. Tonight on most of these NBC stations. X-1, on tuned to yesterday from January 9th, 1958 on NBC, the final broadcast in what's known as the hallmark of sci-fi on radio. You're listening to an hour of science fiction on tuned to yesterday. I'm your host, Mark LeVanier. And now we turn to the Radio Guild for Renald McDougall's story, The Man Who Was Tomorrow. McDougall, a contributing writer to shows like Suspense, the World War II series Man Behind the Gun, and even had one of his screenplays, June Bride, adapted on the Lux Radio Theater. His story, The Man Who Was Tomorrow, is next, featuring Eric Dressler, Peter Donald, and Barbara Weeks, from May 14, 1939, on the NBC Blue Network. The Radio Guild presents The Man Who Was Tomorrow, an original radio play by Ranald R. MacDougall. Morning, Gateman. Morning, sir. You're a bit late today. Yes, I am. Very busy morning. Very busy indeed. Oh, dear me, it's almost 12. Is he here yet? Yes, sir. Been here all morning, sir. I believe he's with the young lady, sir. You remember her. Yes, of course. A lovely girl. A wonderful girl. Saw her the other day looking beautiful as always. She was asking for him. Oh, that reminds me, I'd better hurry. I, I meant to meet him at 12. I've got to see him before the boy comes to take him home. Oh, dear me, dear me. The sun will be here at 12. He mustn't get here it's before. It's striking 12 now, sir. I know, I know. I'll, I'll have to stop it. I don't like to, but I must. Uh, Clark, I'd appreciate your stopping for a while. Uh, thank you, Clark. Uh, Gateman... How many did it strike? Nine, sir. Nine. Nine. You mustn't forget that. Must remember to start the clock again with three strokes. Three strokes. Mustn't forget. Oh, you won't forget, sir. You've never forgotten anything that I know of, sir. Kind of you to say so. Concentration does it. Concentration. Well, at any rate, now that the clock is stopped, I needn't hurry so much. No, sir. Now, now about Charles. Been here all morning, you said? That's right, sir. How, how old is he now? Well, he was wandering a bit when I first came on duty, sir. First he'd be 50, then 30, and then 10, sir. Went so fast you could hardly follow him. <laughs> but I think he's settled down now, sir, to about 21, sir. 21, 21. This would be his third time in the park, eh? Mm, you have an excellent memory, well, sir. Let's see if I have. First time he came to the park was in 1936. He was 18 then, am I right? Exactly, sir. Then he came again when he was 20. In 1938 it was. That was when he met the girl. I remember the day very well. It was raining, am I right? Splendid, sir. Now he's 21. That would make it the year 1939. Oh, 
the year of the first quarrel. I mustn't miss that. I'd better hurry after all. Uh, he's over by the lilac tree, sir. You can do what you like. I don't care anymore. I didn't think you did. You're darn tootin' I don't. Why should I? You think just because I've been taking you around all the time, that means I'm in... Well, I'm not, see? I, I know plenty of girls. Pretty girls, too, and they're crazy about me. Maybe you'd rather go out with them. Yeah, maybe I would. Don't think I won't, either. You wait and see. I'm no sap. I never said you were. No, but you thought I was, didn't you? I bet you and Ed Mitchell laughed about me all the time you was out together. I bet you told him all about the things I used to say to you, didn't you? Didn't you? You were taking me for granted. You thought you owned me. I was trying to make you jealous. Well, it didn't work, see? I just don't care one way or the other. Now, I I know what you like, that's all. Charlie, I, I don't know what to say. There's nothing to say. Rennie, you and I are through. Done. Washed up. Charlie. What? Charlie, listen to me. I love you. You love me. You told me so. I know you do. Oh, yeah? That's what you think. Oh, Charlie, I don't know how to talk to you when you're like this. You're just trying to hurt me. You want to hurt me. I don't know why. You make me feel as if I'd done something terrible. A crime or something. I feel dirty all over. Why don't you leave me alone? And that's what I'm going to do from now on. Leave you alone. I can do without you and don't you forget it. All those things I said to you the other night about when we was married and everything. That was just a line. I, I was trying to rope you in. And I guess I did, too. Now, why don't you go on home? Charlie, I... Oh, go on, beat it. Go on home. I'm sick of seeing you around. I, I guess you are, Charlie. Well, that's done with. I can be proud of myself now, all right. What a rat I turned out to be. You've been cruel enough for one day, Charles. Huh? What? Don't be harsh with yourself. Oh, a snooper, huh? Maybe you'd like to get your face pushed in, wise guy. And I imagine you would like to have some sort of punching bag. You'd feel better, wouldn't you? Very well, stand up and hit me as much as you like. I'll, I'll understand. Oh, you're crazy. Go on, beat it. Charles, tell me why you were cruel to that girl. Or shall I tell you? I said beat it. That's what you said to her. Beat it. Do you know why? I'll tell you. You wanted to punish her for having the power to make you jealous. She really loves you and you know it. But you thought of her belonging to someone else and you wanted to hurt her. Has that thought hurt you? Am I right? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Not that I expected you to admit it. You're too young to admit that you have feelings. You're proud, Charles, very proud. And very young. But the way you suffer is perfectly natural. We all go through the same stage. We grown-ups, we call it adolescence. And forget how inexpressibly bitter it was, just as you'll forget someday. And you will forget, Charles... You look back on all this and say how young, how how foolish, how innocent I was, and and you'll wish you could live this scene over again. We all of us do. All of us. Who are you? I am he. He? What he? He who has been searching for you. Well, I, I don't know what you mean. I didn't expect you to. All that you need to know about me is that I've been searching for you just as you were for me. I search for you? Well, I don't even know you. No, not until today. And that too troubled you while you searched for me. You wondered what it was you wanted, but you couldn't puzzle it out. You merely knew that you, you wanted something. Something. It was me you wanted. And I'm here. But, but who are you? I am tomorrow. What? At least, uh, I was tomorrow, yesterday. Today is yesterday's tomorrow, you know. But tomorrow never comes. So they say, but I am tomorrow and I have come. Tomorrow is here today, so they must be mistaken. <laughs> well, somebody's mistaken, I'll grant you that. You know, I, I like you. I like you fine, even if you are crazy. Well, I... I'm happy that you're no longer sad, but I'm sorry that it is because you think I'm insane. Charles, you must believe that I am yesterday's tomorrow. It is very important that you believe so. I'll prove it to you. Look. There is someone coming along the path. You see him? Sure. What about him? 
It's only some high school kid. Oh, he doesn't consider himself a kid. He's 19. The fellow's practically a man at 19. He, he looks... His face is like... Hey, you, boy, boy! He can't hear you. He's too far away. Three years away, to be exact. He's coming over here with his books. He's going to sit on this bench. Yes, but you needn't move over for him. Just stay as you are. He's sitting in my lap. Don't sit here, you fool. Can't you see there's somebody sitting here? What? He's gone. He sat in my lap and disappeared. No, he didn't disappear. He's still there. Three years older, but much the same as he was. That... That means that... Yes, that boy was yourself, as you were three years ago. For a brief moment, you saw yourself, as I saw you three years ago. But he... he, he was me? I, I saw myself? No, not exactly yourself. You merely saw this park as it was on a certain day at a certain time three years ago. But time can't be brought back. The very second it takes me to say this is gone forever. Oh, you're wrong, Charles. Time is a plaything for those who know how to play. You must think of this park as a series of pictures, like a photograph album, where yesterday, today, and tomorrow are all the same. A photograph album? Yes. This park remains the same year after year, only the scenes are different. Time here is like a succession of pictures. By turning back the pages, we see the things that were, just as you saw. Yeah, but I, I still don't understand. You see this earth beneath your feet? It's been there always. It will be there always. It has no time. Oh, but the earth is dead. It has no life. What do you mean you by... You will know very soon now. But let me show you another picture. Of you and that girl you were speaking to. A happier picture than the one that you've just made. Watch. What? It's beginning to rain. We'll get wet. No, we won't get wet. You must make an effort to understand that this is merely a picture of yesterday. Look, there's a girl coming down the path. She's running for the shelter of this tree, running with the awkward half-step of a young woman. And from the other direction, a young man coming. Why, why that's... Yes, the boy you see there is yourself, and the girl is Rennie, and the day is your first meeting last year in the rain. Strange, isn't it? Our happiest memories are of rainy days in summer... But listen, he's going to speak to her those first vastly important words. It's uh, kind of nasty out, isn't it? Oh, I like the rain. Everything is so different. The things we see every day are all changed and new and shining. Why, those are exactly the words. Shh, don't talk. Only listen. Well, I... I guess I like the rain well enough myself. Not that I ever bothered to think much about it. I mean... I guess girls are different that way, about thinking of things. You're nice. What's your name? Charles. Charles Van Buren. Everybody calls me Charlie. Uh, what's yours? Rennick Porterfield. My father named me Rennick because he once lent a man named Rennick some money and he never got it back. My father said it was the last of the money and that I was the last of the children. <laughs> Everybody calls me Rennick. Well, I'm ple pleased to meet you, Rennie. I'm glad I met you, Charlie. I don't know why, but I think this is a very special day. I woke up this morning and I felt awfully nice. And I knew it was going to be a very special day. Oh, she was swell. The, the way she talked like she'd known you a long time. I was crazy about her right away. My, my heart was pumping away like a sledgehammer. I, I couldn't talk to her, so... I tried to pretend I really didn't care if I did or not. It was nice. Nicer than quarreling, do you mean? What? Oh, the quarrel. You shouldn't have reminded me. I was a heel. Yes, I suppose you were, but you'll forget. And so will she, because your quarrel was caused by love. And so means nothing. It's only the quarrel of hate that leaves a bitter memory. I wish I thought so. I mean, about forgetting the things I said to her. I don't expect Rennie to ever forget. But you're hoping right now that she will. And she will forget. I know. How do you know? I will show you. It's another page in the picture book. 
a summer day, something like this, warm and warming. Look. Where did all the children come from? They're a part of the scene. The wind is strong. They've come to fly their kites and be happy as only children are. They're so young, so sure that the world is nice. They're children. But never mind them. Look along the path again. It's Rennie. She's come back. Rennie! She can't hear you, Charles. She can't hear you as you are now. But look again. There you are, Charles. A little older, but much the same. You didn't expect to see her. You haven't seen her since the quarrel. You just wandered sadly through the scene that was once so happy for you. Look now. You've seen each other. Listen. Hello, Rennick. Hello, Charles. Well, I, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing you for quite some time. No, that's right. The nice day, isn't it? Yes, it is. Lots of children around, aren't there? Yes, lots. Why don't I say something to her? Why don't I tell her how much I missed her, how sorry I am that I hurt her? You can't, boy. You're wondering if she's forgotten you, and she wonders if you've forgotten her. Listen. Haven't changed a great deal, Charles. Oh, it's only two years. Only two. It, it seemed like a thousand. Uh, are you working? I'm working now. Oh, a stenographer? Yes. Not a very good stenographer. But it's only for a little while. Until I get married. Married? Oh. I, I didn't know. How about you? I guess you're married by now. Are you? No. I'll never marry. I thought once that... Tell me. No, no, it really wasn't important. I see. Well, I've got to go now. It's been awfully nice seeing you again. Oh, tell her you love her. I love her. Don't let her go. Don't let her go. She can't hear you, Charles. She can't hear you. Before you go, Rennie, there's there's something I'd, I'd like you to know. I wouldn't say anything except I'm sure we'll never see each other again. What is it, Charles? You remember that day, the, the last time we were here in the park? I've never forgotten it, Charles. Well, I, I just wanted you to know that I was sorry afterwards. I hated myself for speaking to you that way. It's all right, Charles. I understood even then. I was hurt for a while, but when you never came to see me again, I knew you really weren't in love with me. But I was. Of course, I I was as much in love with you then as I am now. I am, you know. Charles. Oh, Charles, I'm glad. I'm glad. Shortly after that scene, you and Rennie were married. How do you know all these things? I am tomorrow. I know everything there is to be known. I know, for instance, that you and Rennie were very happy. Very happy indeed. Why do you speak in the past tense of things that haven't happened yet? Why? You will know very soon now. You said that before when I was 21. Now I'm 25, but I still don't understand. I said 25. I said that I'm 25 years old. I, I was 21 before you came. What's happened to me? I feel older. I am older than when I first met you. What have you... No, don't be frightened. It is true that you're 25... However, let me show you a picture that was your tomorrow then. No, I don't want to see any more. I won't look. I won't listen. Yes, you will. You must. This time, the park is somewhat changed. The trees are bare and bleak. It's cold, and there's a wind blowing. It is late at night, and there you are, Charles, walking up and down, up and down. You're alone, Charles. All alone. Hello. What are you doing here at this hour? Huh? What? Oh, hello, Cateman. Oh, it's you, sir. Well, what are you doing here? Praying, I guess. Whatever it is, I'm finding it difficult. What's the matter? Some kind of trouble? It's my wife. She's in the hospital across the street. Oh, is that so? Sick? No. Oh, now I get you. Well, that's different, that is. <laughs> what do you know about that? Well, sit down now, son, and tell me all about it. When's she expecting? Tonight. 
Oh, I can't stand it. it. It's my fault, all my fault. If she gets through, all right, I swear that never as long as I live... <laughs> uh, that's what they all say. That's what I said the first time. But I've got three now. You you have? Three? Well, was, was it bad the first time? Sure it was bad. For me. <laughs> the old lady didn't mind much. Uh, neither will yours, son. She'll be all right. Now, don't you worry. Oh, do you think so? Do you, do you really think it'll be all right? Sure it will. Come on now, sit down and take it easy, Daddy. <laughs> Look at me, Charles Van Buren. Do you know me? Your... Your tomorrow and... And what else? Oh, I... I almost knew. Almost, but I've... I've forgotten. Well, you'll remember soon. But let's look at another tomorrow. No. Don't tell me any more. Please don't tell me any more. I, I don't want to remember that day. The day... Ah, I see you know what is coming. But you mustn't feel badly about it now that I'm here. Because I'm going to make it all right again. No, I, I'm too old to understand. Too old. Seventy-five years. It's a long time tomorrow. Yes, but it's made you very wise. Let me show you that tomorrow that you fear, Charles. No, no, I... Yes, it's only a second. Autumn in the park. The leaves are turning color. A slushy snow is falling. An old man is coming along the path, leaning on the arm of his son. They stop by this bench. Look. Yes, this is the place, William. Let's stop here. Yes, Father. I, I want to sit down, son. Well, the bench is wet. Eh, it doesn't matter. It's a good bench. Solid oak. Very hard to carve initials in it, but I was young and strong. Eh, look there, son. R.P. C.V.B. 1939. Why, that's 40 years ago. Yes, son, I... I carved it there the day of our first quarrel. Your mother was a Porterfield, you know. That's why the initials are different than mine. I... I understand, Father. Yes, of course you do. I didn't need to explain. I guess I'm tired, son. We, we've had a hard day. Very hard day. But let's not talk about that. Uh, Marjorie looked mighty pretty today. Pretty as those red flowers on the... What were they? Roses? Yes, roses. When are you and Marjorie getting married? Well, we talked it over last night and... Well, we, we thought we might wait a while. No, don't do that, boy. Your mother wouldn't like it if she knew. <laughs> I guess she wouldn't. She was always saying that I was just, well, stubborn, like my father... Like you, Dad. Yes. Yes, that's what she'd say, all right. That's what the gateman used to say, too. Uh, you you remember the gateman, William? Oh, yes, Father. Uh, nice old fella. Yes. Five years ago it was when he... Uh, maybe I'll be seeing him and your mother soon. I hope so. That was 15 years ago, Charles. Now you're 75. You've been lonely, haven't you? Yes. Yes, I have been lonely. And very tired since Rennie went. Very tired. I've just been waiting for tomorrow, I guess. Now you're beginning to understand. Now do you know me, Charles Van Buren? Yes. Yes, I know you now, tomorrow. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm especially glad you came today. I, I waited 15 years for you. Yes, I was waiting for you, Charles. I wanted to meet you here, but you never came until today. This is the first time you've been in the park in 15 years, since the picture I just showed you. There, there's one more picture, isn't there? Let me see it. You mean the picture of yesterday's tomorrow, the picture of today, this morning... Here it is. Look. 
there you are, Charles, with your son again. You walk more slowly now, but the warm sun delights you. And there's William. He's middle-aged now and very prosperous, a fine, strong boy, William. Here. Here you are, Father. Your old bench. It hasn't changed a bit. No, no. Help me sit down. Can't see so well, seems like. There, now. Uh, Sit there. uh, That's it. That's it. Now, you run along, boy. You've got work to do. Well, I don't like to leave you here all alone, Father. It it might start to rain. Nonsense. I I can tell when it's going to rain. It won't rain today. Well, maybe not. But I still don't understand why you were so dead set on coming here. Why, this is the first time you've been in the park for 15 years. I've... I've got to meet somebody. Who, Father? Never you mind. Just just leave me be. I'll take care of myself. All right, Father, if that's the way you want it. Uh, uh, boy, boy, don't go away. Come uh, back here. Come, yeah. I, I want to speak to you. Yes, Father? Don't be angry with me, William. I, I didn't mean to be so, so harsh. You understand? Oh, I think so, Father. Yes, I... I I just want to think about things, you know. Your, of course. Your mother and I, our young days. You, you understand, boy? Yes, Father. I'll come back for you at 12 o'clock. All right. 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock. It was just about that when Rennie and I started our first quarrel. I, I was sitting right here, and she was next to me. Yes, I I was about 21, I guess. (laughs) My, but I was young and foolish. I turned around and said... And that's when I came to meet you, while you were dreaming of your first quarrel. Yes, I was young for a little while. Now I'm old again. Tomorrow has come. Yes, tomorrow has come. But not the ultimate tomorrow, Charles, not the last tomorrow. That is not to be found here in the park. But before we go, I'd like to show it to you. Look, Charles, and understand tomorrow. Look. Yes. Yes, I think I do. Let's make a start, shall we? I'm I'm anxious to see Rennie. Yes, fine. And on our way out of the park, I want you to meet an old friend of yours. Uh, the gateman? That's right. He's been on duty here ever since the time that... Oh, dear me. I almost forgot. Oh, dear, that would be dreadful. Well, what's the matter? The time. I, uh, I was a little late and afraid that your son would be here. I... I had to stop the clock from striking 12. If you'll pardon me, I'll just start it up again. Uh, Clock, you can finish striking 12 now, and uh, thank you very much. Well, well, here I am, Father, right on time. Are you ready to go home now? I... (laughs) I said, are you ready to go home now, Father? Father! Oh, Father!
have just heard an original radio play called The Man Who Was Tomorrow, written by Ranald R. MacDougall. The cast was as follows. The part of tomorrow is played by Eric Dressler, Charles Peter Donald, Rennie Barbara Weeks, the gateman Alan McAteer, William William Thornton. Next Sunday at this time, the Radio Guild will present Fish Widowers by Merritt P. Allen, featuring Parker Fennelly and Arthur Allen. This was a presentation of the National Broadcasting Company, RCA Building, Radio City, New York. Radio Guild, untuned to yesterday from May 14th, 1939 on the NBC Blue Network. Bringing to a close this hour of sci-fi, untuned to yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from Radio's past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for tuning in.